What's up, guys? My name is Zach Vaughn. Um, I'm the host of this podcast you're listening to right now called Slice of Life. Over the course of the last dozen episodes, you guys have seen me take on the role of a peer. You've seen me take on the role of a fanboy in certain situations. But one thing's true for all of that, and that's that every time I've sat across this table or whatever tables between me and who I'm recording with that day, um, I have a lot of love and respect for that person. I wanted to make sure that those were the guests I was getting on. You might have noticed that there hasn't been an episode for a couple weeks, and I'm sorry for that. Um, I have been struggling a little bit. Um, these last several weeks have felt unfairly relentless, and I didn't know if I wanted to continue this podcast at all anymore. You start having those thoughts that come into your mind like, who the fuck cares about what you have to say? Um, you're arrogant for assuming anyone would want to listen to your opinions. It's narcissistic. It's self-important. And uh, the idea that somebody could perceive me that way um, really bummed me out to the point that it became difficult to listen to my own voice when editing these episodes, and even right now in my headphones. I wanted this to be a light podcast where I had the opportunity to be in front of people that I admired. And in a lot of ways, the spirit of this podcast is very much that. But I would have these transparent moments in some episodes that would always garner me more feedback than any other moment, than any punchline that I was really happy about, than any joke, any story. It seemed like every time that I pulled back the curtain on myself, my inbox would be flooded with people telling me they relate to that or um, they've been through that or they it, it helped them understand me more, whatever. And so the episode that I recorded for this week is a very different sort of episode. Um, it's heavy. Um, a lot of the things that I say throughout the course of this episode are things that I've never put into words before once in my life. And it was cathartic being able to have that conversation, um, with somebody that I cared about. And I feel like I gained enough from just having that conversation that I don't even need to release um, this deep take of my life to a bunch of strangers. Um, 
but I'm going to, obviously, if you're, you're listening to this right now, I, I did it. <laughs> um, and it's nerve wracking for me. Um, I want all of the reasons behind it to be understood. And I don't want anyone to feel like I just needed to hear myself speak. Um, I tried putting as much wisdom and advice that helped me through shitty times in my life into it as possible. Um, and I didn't cut myself any slack uh, throughout the conversations of the mistakes I've made and the habits that I'd formed. Um, and it's difficult, you know, it's, uh, it's heavy. Uh, I'm scared to death to show it to you guys. And I'm worried about um, how I'm perceived when I wake up in the morning now. Um, but at its core, it is very much for all of you. Um, or maybe not for all of you. Uh, there's maybe some of you that could probably skip this one, but, um, definitely for some of you. Um, and I want everything that I feel in terms of anxiety and nerves right now to be balanced out by everything that I feel by way of grace and appreciation and people telling me that anything I said meant anything to them these next few days. Um, I hope it helps so much. Um, and if you guys are struggling with mental health issues, um, please speak to someone, um, communicate with someone, um, you tell yourself terrible things when you get into your own head. Um, and I think it's important to just be patient with yourself and understand that um, it's one day at a time, you know? So without further ado, um, I present to you uh, a very deep episode of Slice of Life with my friend Chris Starman. I hope you guys enjoy. Thank you. Hello, welcome back to Slice of Life. I'm your host, Zach Vaughn. Um, you guys might have noticed there wasn't an episode last week, and the reason for that is I have been depressed, uh, been a little bit sad. I kind of started taking an inventory of my life, and uh, I, I realized that there 
currently isn't a lot of things in it that are bringing me a great deal of joy or satisfaction. Um, and that combined with regular life stressors, um, kind of put me behind the schedule of this podcast and I could negate mentioning any of this to you. Um, some of you guys know me personally, but I definitely have listeners out there that have never met or interacted with me at all. And you don't have to know these things about me. Um, so when I was reflecting these last couple weeks, I realized that this podcast only really works when I'm as transparent as possible. Um, when I'm not disingenuous, um, when I treat you guys like adults, um, I don't fib or exaggerate or, or lie or try making my life out to be anything other than what it is because I think that is detrimental, uh, to people. Um, I think everyone has problems and I think this sort of culture we're in where we're only posting highlight reels all the time, uh, is giving a lot of people there in these same sort of depressive spirals an unfair glimpse of what life actually is. I didn't want to do that. Um, I, I wanted to be better than that, uh, for you guys. So what I did, um, in an effort to be productive, uh, when I got done saying all these horrible things about myself, I'm like, what are the factors that I struggle with the most? What are the events that sort of set me off that kind of push me into, um, these low mental health spaces? And I consolidated all the things down into three uh, kind of big umbrella topics. And uh, that is my relationship with wealth and things, my relationship with romantic love, and my relationship with the world around me. Um, normally, it's some combination of all of them. Sometimes it's just one or the other. Um, but those kind of seem to be the trends um, of the things that, that make me feel, uh, down, if you will. So in lieu of that, I have brought on one of my dearest friends, um, uh, Mr. Chris Starman. He is a local comic in the quad cities community. Um, and, and probably just the nicest human being I've ever met. He's done a lot of the art for a lot of the um, comedy shows and events that you see around here. So if you've ever seen a dope flyer, you can probably thank him for that. I would say no less than 98% of the time. Um, and he does all these things by his own accord. And I have brought Chris on today to discuss love. Um, <laughs> <laughs> after, after that wonderful intro, it's probably the best intro I've ever had. And uh, we're going to go right to the love. Yeah. I, and the reason, the reason you're here in particular, Chris, and I, I tried explaining it to you poorly, and I'll end up explaining it to everyone listening right now poorly. I have 
constant difficulty expressing um, things like love in anything that resembles resembles a healthy manner. Um, and it, it's, it's always kind of been that way for me. I'm not good at it, uh, as we're going to get into, but you're one of the kindest people I've ever met. And it seems like it's very easy for you to show appreciation and care and love, um, you know, not romantic love towards me. I mean, maybe sometimes, but, but love. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I love you towards the, towards the people, um, in your life. And it's something that I admire about you. Um, and it's something that I try learning from when I'm around you. Um, because you, you meet people like that in your life. And when you're around them, everything just feels warmer. Um, it just feels better. And I think every person listening right now can probably, probably has a person in their mind as they're listening. They're like, yeah, it's that, that guy, you know, it's Craig. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, um, and so that's, that's what you are to me. So. Well, I appreciate it. And you are, are near and dear to my heart. So. It's it's been it's been difficult watching you be sad and and not just you know depression sad but just not having you around and not you know I, I love having you around to talk to and and I talk to you you know via text message every once in a, you know every couple of days and but it's still not the same as having you around so it was one of the reasons I was so happy to see you at, at Renwick on Wednesday yeah yeah and it was um, you know it still feels. Uh, shaky for me. Um, it, I'm getting kind of my feet back underneath me in terms of interacting with other people, uh, which is an embarrassing statement to have to say as a, as a grown adult, but, uh, Hey, you know what? We all, I think we, I think everybody struggles, not just us with depression, but you know, I think everybody kind of struggles with, you know, too much people time, too much interaction, too much, um, you know, it wears down your kind of your meter. You know, if you were playing a video game, you have so much level for, for interaction and every once in a while it drops to the bottom and you got to recharge it. Yeah. Yeah. And when I get in these episodes, um, I end up projecting things that I'm feeling aren't the rest of the world and come up with these unrealistic scenarios. And it's, uh, it's, uh, self-fulfilling cycle. Uh, and so it's, it's, I need to eventually find a, a better way to address these things, uh, other than isolating myself for sure. And I, I will get there. I do like though, that, that while you're isolating, you're not completely cut off. Like you, you don't necessarily seek out the, the conversations, but you absolutely respond when I'm checking in on you and talking to you and stuff. So it's not, it's not like you're so withdrawn that you don't talk, but yeah, you're obviously withdrawn from social and, and being out and, and whatnot. So I'm glad that you're still communicating. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, uh, this podcast is going to get weird. Uh, mm -hmm. it's going to get strange. Um, I avoid having 
these conversations, probably particularly around romance, because I like you guys thinking that I'm a good person. Uh, and it's hard to go over my love life and, uh, and convince you guys of that. Uh, so I avoid it. Um, I'm going to be as vague as possible, uh, where I can intentionally. But when we start breaking down my relationship with romantic love, we can't overlook, uh, what's probably my very unhealthy relationship with sex and, uh, trending right into that is probably my lifelong relationship with a constant need, uh, for validation, uh, I think is probably what lends itself to that. So do you have any idea how you want to start this or you want to just jump right into it or you want me to kind of, I think probably we're going to, we're going to walk through it the, uh, the way that the movie Forrest Gump goes where, uh, we started a very, (laughs) very, very early time in my life. Um, so yeah, uh, so let's start with the the smaller topics and work our way up to I guess I guess something uh, as obscure and intangible as love. Okay. So starting with my need for validation, and feel free to chime in with your own experiences with this too, uh, and have that discourse with me. Yeah. But I moved around a lot uh, as a kid. And it probably wasn't until much later in life I started recognizing the effect that that has on somebody when they're learning to socialize. Um, I was perpetually a new kid. Um, and as such, I was perpetually seeking attention uh, and acceptance from my peers that have already developed into their social groups. Um, which creates unhealthy habits probably from an early age. And, and you're naturally a little more introverted. You're not the guy that's constantly going up and, and being like, Hey guys, can I hang out too? Like at least now you're not. So I assume that you weren't as a kid either. Yeah, definitely not. Um, I was, I was good with adults, like from a young age, I was that kid, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. like I was, uh, I was the geek that like showed up early to school in like 10th and 11th grade to like have coffee with my English teacher and talk to him about books. Like I was that fucking dweeb. Uh (laughs) Well, first of all, I think um, this kind of probably lends itself into your other categories, but you know, calling yourself a dweeb and and whatnot, when you're talking about books, it, it, it wasn't my thing. I wish it was like, I wish I was a good reader, but Having number one made a connection with another person, you know, that teacher, and then having a shared interest that went beyond, you know, the school realm, like yeah. that, that's important stuff too. So I, I don't want you to dismiss that, you know, as you, as, you know, while you said you didn't have the typical experiences, you still had some value, some really good, valuable experiences that maybe, <laughs> yeah, other people and didn't. I, you know what, like I, uh, you know, I developed, I developed friendships with these people. It's just, you know, not the friendships yeah. that you seek out. Yeah. You're not going to, you know, take your English teacher to prom if it was, you know, of someone you were, <laughs> if you were rom- romantically interested even. But. Yeah. I wasn't going to take Bob Nelson to prom, but uh. <laughs> I didn't know. If it was, well, and then I was like, I didn't know if it was a male or female teacher. And I also didn't know, you know, Hey, what's going uh, on. But, uh, 
Yeah, no, I, I had, I had several teachers that had, um, serious impacts on me. I don't think I turned in a single English assignment throughout all of 11th grade. Um, he would just, I would just get a book like uh, Zen and the art of motorcycle maintenance mm-hmm. or uh, a whole bunch of really obscure shit and, uh, infinite jest, I think. And, uh, I would just talk to him about books and he's like, you're so far advanced in like this realm that I'm just going to fucking give you whatever grade you want, man. Um, <laughs> so, so while we're back here in, in back in time, what, tell me about your, your first crush. My first, like when you first noticed a girl or when like your first crush, um, I, uh, Oh man, I'm trying to think. I, I always, I always had crushes. I never went through like the girls have cuties phase Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. from a very early age. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I like girls a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, to the point that like, I would get like phone numbers in like first and second grade and like call these girls and like sing nickel back to them. You know, um, (laughs) I was, I was a weird fucking kid. Uh, I don't, I don't blame any of you guys for not fucking with me. So I'll, I'll, I'll give you some weird, (laughs) <laughs> I would distinctly remember second grade. Um, I'm going to say her name because I don't think anyone's going to hear this that would know, but Kelly Dressen. Okay. And I'm probably saying that wrong anyway because it's been 20, 30, 40 years. Holy cow, I'm old. Um, I distinctly remember because we, we were uh, in a Catholic grade school. So the white tops with the blacker navy blue shorts, or I mean pants at the time. Yeah. And – I remember seeing her and being infatuated. I remember we, she was in the, we only had a school that was big enough to divide each class or each grade into two classes. Okay. And she was in the other class, but there was some sort of assembly in our classroom where they had to come over and she touched my desk, like put her hand down as she was walking by. And I took my pencil and I outlined that spot and I was like, no one gets to wash this part of the desk. For the- <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, the janitor has no idea why my idiot kid brain is <laughs> drawing a half circle on the edge of my desk. So, I, I yeah. Uh, yeah, I think, I mean, I... I you jo- were much smoother than I was in Nickelback. <laughs> I, joke, I joke around about it a lot. Um, I am probably disparaging to myself. And there there is a lot of, you know, actual not satisfaction with myself tied into that, but a lot of it's hyperbole. I don't, uh, say the things about myself that I say in jest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or at least I try not speak to myself like that most of the time. Um, so yeah, I can't, I always had crushes, man. Um, and I always wanted to be, Liked like universally liked, mm-hmm. which you get older and you realize that's impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I just it was so important to me. I cared so much for so long, and I and I still do um, about what other people think about me, and that is such an unnecessary burden to put on yourself in this life. Um, it's so stupid. <laughs> it's it, it is it is it's hard but it's also hard to get away from yeah um and so that was always a big defining character trait for me um 
and I wasn't super cool as I might've alluded to. Um, people liked me. I wasn't ever heavily bullied to a point that like, I feel any sense of like trauma, from mm-hmm. probably just mm-hmm. the same amount that any kid probably mm-hmm. gets. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, pe- like people were kind to me. I was always kind of a class clown, so I could always make people laugh. That mm-hmm. was my way of like acting out and my way of getting that mm-hmm. attention that mm-hmm. I, I so desperately deserved. And I should, I should also note after that last statement right now, it wasn't that I wasn't getting attention at home. It mm-hmm. wasn't like I had negligent parents. Yeah. I had parents that loved me very much. It wasn't like I was missing that part of myself and that's why I craved attention so much. It was just, it, it was never the attention that I wanted. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. It was always all the attention that I was getting, whatever it might be. I would look at somebody else getting any different form of attention and I would feel like I was missing out on mm-hmm. that, whatever mm-hmm. that was. Um, so those were the ways that I kind of, uh, fit in, you know, it was just kind of by acting out. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was very similar. I was in trouble in third grade quite a bit. Um, and I was, my parents have told me time and time again that I was the one that pushed the envelope. Like I just wanted to see how much, how far we could go. And so, and it always gave them headaches cause it was, you know, why can't you just fall in line and, you know, be like the rest of the kids? No, I want to go, you know, drive my car around like a desk or drive my desk around like a car and, yeah. and go talk to my friends because I was told I couldn't get out of my chair. So I just keep, you know, I'm one of those that keeps pushing the envelope and, and class clown. Maybe I probably wasn't voted like funniest or, or most likely to be a comedian, but I was one that liked to goof around and have a good time. So I know what you mean about trying to fit in by, by being funny and by, you know, being likable. And, and so that's cool. It's very similar. And at, at a certain point, um, throughout high school, I looked at the friends that I did have, um, which were also kind of outcast. And then I started to resent my friend group by not being, like what was classically accepted at mm-hmm. school. And mm-hmm. I started alienating myself further from them. I started pursuing the things that I thought was going to make me more like the people that I wasn't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And all that really lent itself to was I would do some poor facsimile of what I thought it was to be cool, which just ended up me being, you know, overly narcissistic, overly douchey, overly aggressive Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because none of that actually existed in me. I just, I saw what I perceived and I'm like, that's the way I need to be. Yeah. Yeah. You, you picked up what you saw and and started making it your own and, and yes. And, um, when I was a junior in high school, um, I got a high school sweetheart and discovered the joys of sex um, which was my favorite thing in the entire world, um, at that time and probably s- still, um, and <laughs> when, once I started, like once I started having sex, what I realized is that was the quickest way to achieve 
the validation that I sought from everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it was, it was like a cheat code. I felt like I found like a hack for my life. I'm like, I can do this and this makes me feel complete, whatever I felt like I was missing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so probably almost instantly, um, my relationship with sex was probably not based on the correct things, uh, the things that make, uh, things like love sustainable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I didn't know that at the time, of course. No. Um, I was a horny teenager and so was every other teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't like connecting the dots at that moment. And I'm like, oh, this might be something that becomes a massive problem in my life later. Uh, I, no, no, I, you, of course not. Yeah, I had, I had no idea. Um, so dated that girl all through high school, went to the military after high school, got back from basic and AIT, broke up with her, was single again, you know, exchanged virginities with that girl, had only been with one girl, and the idea of dating was kind of nerve-wracking to me. Mm-hmm. Now, I came back from basic and AIT looking how I thought people should look, you know? Mm-hmm. I was, I was, I looked, you know, handsome. Like, I recognized myself as looking handsome for the first time in my entire life. And, um, people were better to me. Yeah, I mean, it's like an unfair truth of the world, but, um, People are better to people that they perceive as attractive. I I hate that Ben Woodfield came up with that joke, but it is absolutely true about, you know, dating on easy mode versus dating on legend difficulty, you know, based upon your looks and and you know, you can you can dress it up all you want, but there are studies done that show that people typically partner with people that they feel are in the same quote unquote, you know, rating system. You know, you typically will find what is socially acceptable as a five will either date another five, a six or a four. Yeah. Um, a nine will date a 10, a nine or an eight, you know, that kind of thing. And, and it's, it's built into, yeah, you can't move two points on the scale. That's an important <laughs> rule to establish early on in the podcast. <laughs> and, you know, and, and I wish like, I, I, Obviously, there are exceptions to the rule, and and I personally try not to subscribe to that kind of mentality. But at the same time, it is out there. There are, like I said, that's what I was alluding to. That there's been studies done that we've we've put ourselves in kind of these prisons of oh, we can only go this far, you know, you know, having the two points, you know, don't jump two points or you'll you know break the rule. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah. So. I, I started dating again and, um, shortly into dating again, I dated a girl that was older than me, um, or saw a girl that was older than me and we started sleeping together and it was just a casual thing. And she explained that it was a casual thing and it was like my entire worldview shifted. I'm like, wait, like. Girls can just casually enjoy sex. And she's like, yeah, I'm like fucking 19. You know, this is like <laughs> yeah. the biggest news I've ever yeah. heard in my entire life. Boom, and I'm like, I'm like, so I don't have to be in a relationship to do this thing. She's like, no, I'm like, 
this is the best thing I've ever heard. This is <laughs> this is the best news you could have told me. You have um, unwrapped a present. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, thus started my uh, very, very toxic, unhealthy journey uh, with sex, which has been a trend for sure my entire adult life. It's I don't have a lot of vices, you know. I I'm I'm not big into drinking. I'm not into drugs. I I stay physically fit or try maintaining some type of fitness. I try mm-hmm. staying act like I don't have a lot of of the classic pitfalls in my life. And when you start having sex, you don't think that that could ever be one of them. Like, yeah. It feels, yeah. feels too good. Um, <laughs> and uh, can't be anything wrong with this. Yeah. And exactly. That's why I've been trying to tell everyone. <laughs> uh, um, and so I, I just started sleeping around a lot. Um, and there's a very unfortunate double standard in society where if you're a guy who can sleep around a lot, you're a hero. Mm -hmm. Uh, if you're a girl that sleeps around a lot, you're trash. Um, it's not fair. Uh, I don't endorse it. I hate that it exists, but not acknowledging that it exists would be a fucking lie. Fair. So now we have an unhealthy relationship with sex established. Uh, Mm -hmm. Of course, this isn't apparent to me at the time. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, we have all these friendships that are coming into my life that I've always wanted, you know, all the people I wanted to be friends with. And more so than that, the most interesting thing about me is how much I'm fucking. And all of these people are validating me every time I'm around them about how fucking cool I am and how fucking cool that makes me. And that breaks my little disordered brain. I'm like, this is everything. Mm -hmm. This is the most important thing. Mm -hmm. Nothing could be more important than this. I finally feel how I want to feel. I have the life I want to have. I have the the friends that that I wanted to have, you know? And it becomes a problem eventually. Um, I get into a few relationships, um, but it's it's hard for me to stay focused in relationships. Um, I'm constantly thinking about what I'm missing out on. Uh, I I get bored easy. I have horrible habits. I eventually become disengaged, disconnected. Um, so after I get back from this deployment, I was in a a long-term relationship and, um, the whole time I was over there, I was like, Oh my, like, I can't fucking wait to get home. Like I miss my girlfriend so much. I miss my family so much. I'm so horny. Um, I can't wait. It's going to be the best. And I remember my mom and this girl that I'm seeing, I'm not going to mention names on this podcast, um, picked me up. Sure. Kelly's out there (laughs) ruined because I said I had a crush on her and said, you're not naming names. Anyway. (laughs) Yeah. We'll censor out Kelly's name. Um, (laughs) 
I, uh, my mom and her come and pick me up from my, my friend's place. Cause I flew into Chicago O'Hare, uh, that night stayed with a friend in Chicago. They picked me up the next morning. And I remember seeing my family, these people that I had missed so much over the course of that deployment and just feeling nothing. Um, and it really bummed me out. I was aware, I was hyper aware that I wasn't feeling all of the things that I intended or expected to feel. Um, and I didn't know why I wasn't. So I would have conversations with my friends that had gotten back from that deployment. And I'm like, Hey, you know, however I felt about this girl before I deployed, um, it doesn't feel like that anymore. Um, they'd be like, yeah, it's probably gonna come back. You know, like you shut off that part of yourself for, you know, a year. Uh, it, it'll probably take a little bit of adjustment and just kept never coming back. And this was such a sweet girl. Um, and she cared so much about me and she was so good to me. And she did so much for me that eventually I was just like, I was at the age where people got married and bought homes. Like this was the contestant for that. For me, I could have just had a normal life. All my friends were getting engaged or married and buying their homes. Like I was right there. I could have done it. I could have done those things. Um, but I remember just thinking how unfair it is that this girl is so geeked about me and I am so apathetic in return. It just didn't feel like an even exchange. It felt like she could probably find somebody that was super pumped to be with her. And it sucked because I had had relationships in my life that I have left, but normally you leave a relationship when you fucking hate that person. Mm -hmm. uh, or at least that was my experience. Mm -hmm. This wasn't anyone that I had any sort of ill will towards. She was still my best friend. I just had to make this decision. Yeah. Um, and so I did that, changed my the entire five-year trajectory of my life uh, overnight, moved to Bloomington, um, even though everyone in my life told me not to, um, but I just needed, I didn't realize it at the time, but I was in a sense, doing the same thing that I do when I'm depressed. And I was isolating myself, but I was isolating myself in the most extreme way where I'm like, not only am I not going to see you guys, um, I'm just going to pack up all of my belongings. I'm going to be so far away and, that I can't. And move away from you guys. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I needed that, or I thought I needed mm -hmm. that. And uh, Bloomington was bad for me. It wasn't good. Um, I dated another girl short term once I moved there uh, that really, really put me into a bad headspace early on um, because it felt like <laughs> it felt like for the first time in my life, a girl treated me the way that I treated women. Uh, for lack of a better phrase. Mm -hmm. it you know what? Like it didn't fucking feel good. Mm -hmm. Didn't didn't mm -hmm. feel good. Um <laughs> probably a learning lesson there for me. I've had one of those myself. Yeah. Um and so after that ended, I just got out of a long-term relationship, went right into this little whatever the fuck it was. Um and that fucked me up more than the long-term relationship somehow. Uh and then I'm like, I'm just not going to 
do that anymore. Um, and then I started having sex with, um, everyone. I probably slept with half the population of Bloomington normal, uh, in like a six month span of time. <laughs> and it was bad. It, it was bad for a lot of reasons. Logistically, it was bad because I was making virtually no money. I was paying an absurd amount of rent and I would have three or four tender dates a week, you know, and some of those required food or entertainment. Mm -hmm. um, it wasn't a good financial plan for myself. No, no. Uh, it was real stupid. There was so many reasons it was fucking stupid in hindsight. Um, but even if you were to subtract all of the emotional turmoil, trauma, uh, health risk, everything associated with what I was doing, it would still be a fucking dumbass move. Because I was poor and spending loads of money mm -hmm. to satisfy what was probably a sex addiction. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, like driving uh, someone across three states to go visit someone and putting it all on your credit card because you want them to be happy. Because, yeah, 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 I've done stupid stuff like this. And it, it allowed me to not address how I was feeling in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. And as long as I had somebody over, it was another night where I didn't have to come to terms with things that were really bugging me, that were eating at me, that I was feeling all the inadequacies that I perceived about myself because sex for me has always been really validating. I'm good at sex. Um, <laughs> and I, I reached a point where when I was in Bloomington where I felt like Picasso, if Picasso was painting caricatures at six flags, it was just a wasted undeserved mm -hmm. potential mm -hmm. uh, in a lot of ways. And it never really clicked to me that, that it, that was what it was until I had probably the most memorable experience and how much it jarred me um, was I had a girl over, one night, um, and we had slept together and we were just kind of laying there afterwards. And I'm like, that was really fun. And she's like, it was fine. And I'm like, you have to understand all of my ego is tied up in the praise that I receive, um, for my sexual performance mm -hmm. at this time. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, it was fucking fine. I'm like, I was joking when I said it was fun. It wasn't that great for me. You know, mm -hmm. like I was so upset and I'm like, what do you mean? It was fine. I'm like, did you come? And she's like, yeah, but you felt like a fucking robot. She's like, it felt like you were just going through the motions with me. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, well, yeah, that's because I don't, um, uh, like you as a person. Um, and all those moments where it felt like I was going through the motions were probably moments where I was imagining I was somewhere else. Um, so that's why it felt that way. Um, and, uh, after that I'm like, okay, maybe this is a problem. Maybe this is an actual problem. Um, so I'm glad we got there. Yeah. <laughs> So shortly, shortly after that was when I'm like, okay, it's time to be a real person. 
Um, it's time to, none of this feels cool anymore. You know, all the novelty of everything that I was doing was mm-hmm. kind of starting to wear away, you know, the stories that my friends used to be thrilled to hear are just kind of like, yeah, we get it, Zach, you know? And it like, I was so convinced that was what made me cool and interesting. It was, it was tied to my psyche. I'm like, this is what makes me an interesting person. It's, it's funny because I I spend so much time analyzing myself and I consider myself to be intelligent and well-read. And I think I offer good advice to my friends and I care deeply about my friends, all of these things. And it just never clicked, dude. Like it literally, it's so silly to say it now, but it just never clicked that I thought the coolest thing about me, my entire fucking identity was my ability to to sleep with women. Like that was, I thought it was, I thought it was everything. Now, because we've had other conversations off air recently, that sounds a lot like the conversation we had about comedy the other day where (laughs) you got yourself kind of tied up in comedy being your identity as well. And then it let you down. I, I think I, I try, I've, I've never been sex was something that existed throughout my, the entire course of my life. Mm -hmm. It was the constant. If Mm -hmm. that was what I was viewing as my identity, that was the constant. Mm -hmm. There have been so many iterations of myself where I was trying so desperately to be someone or something picking up your identity from the people that you're trying to be around. Yeah. It's been, I mean, it's been a trend my entire life, man. And like people do that because people don't have an understanding of what they are, what their purpose is or what their value is. And, um, in the best case scenarios, whatever they're trying to do in terms of finding their identity doesn't affect others in the worst case scenarios, it affects others drastically, you know, Absolutely. Uh, drug usage, alcoholism, fucking sex addiction. You know, these are things that have tangible lasting effects on people outside of you. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. the other things I was pursuing didn't, you know, true, Nobody, true. it didn't matter if I wanted to be a bodybuilder or a power lifter or a musician or a comedian or mm-hmm. an artist. Like, yeah, I, I was. I had these things that I was trying to find my identity in, but it was cool because it, even if it became unhealthy, it wasn't harming anyone but, mm-hmm. my, but myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas this did. So I eventually reached that point where I'm like, I need to um, do better. I need to improve my relationship with sex. It's hard because sex became the tool that I would use to feel better Mm -hmm. when I was sad. Mm -hmm. And this was the most sad period of my life. It was also, it also felt like the most lonely period of my life. And I'm actively trying to avoid something to start doing better. And so what I thought, what I thought was like, okay, I have a lot of success with sleeping with women. I have a lot of success on getting the first date on getting them to come over. All I have to do is just apply 
that to not being a giant piece of shit. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, and that's it. That's the, that's the cheat code. So I started doing that. I started dating with the intention of, of pursuing something. Mm -hmm. And I realized, um, I was fucking terrible at it. I was really bad. There was no way anyone could have convinced me that I would be as bad at dating as I was and am. Um, it just, because I was charming and charismatic and I, mm-hmm. I was able to say good things. And when the conditions of these short-term relationships were clearly set and that's what it was, it was, it was easy. It, mm-hmm. you know, it felt effortless. Mm-hmm. Dating felt so foreign to me. I realized I was terrible at communicating emotions and what would happen more often than not is I'd feel some sort of obligation to provide emotions in this sort of exchange that I would incorrectly perceive the amount of emotion that my partner wanted from Mm -hmm, me. mm -hmm. Um, And just like I was doing in high school and I was trying to be cool, I would just do a facsimile of what I thought it was to care about another person, Mm -hmm. which doesn't work. It turned out poorly. Um, It turned out poorly a lot. And then started my complicated sort of affair uh, with love, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Feel free to chime in. Well, so one of the things that I'm I'm noticing here is, and and I'm saying this like a psychologist, but I have this is just me talking as your friend. I'm going to interject here real quick. Yes, neither of us uh, are mental health professionals. No, we're, we're qualified not- to be anything, really. Yeah. Um. Uh. If you get anything out of this podcast that you feel like you can put into your life, and it'll help you out, uh, do that. If you want to listen to a good mental health podcast, my friend Colin Strajak <laughs> has a podcast called Modern Day Overthinker, where Shout he specifically addresses mental health issues in a way that's much more put together mm-hmm. than my ranting right now. <laughs> anyway, back to No, Chris. but I feel like this has been a good conversation in the sense of, of, you know, you had a lot of information that needed to get out before we could kind of get into the digging into it. It's sort of cathartic, yeah. But uh, you've you've kind of approached dating from two different extremes. You've approached it from this means nothing. I'm going to fuck. I'm going to get in, get out, you know, do my job and get out. Or you've approached it like I need to make this work. I need to make this work. Not, Not necessarily that you've been trying to force relationships, but at the same time, I think you kind of. To to do the opposite of what you had been doing, you were trying to put something into something that ne- wasn't necessarily there. Yeah, the second the second part of this story very much came from like a place that felt like desperation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I knew that I felt desperately alone. Mm-hmm. I, I reached a point where sex wasn't making me feel any less alone. It, mm-hmm. Whatever problems it was mending, it wasn't anymore. It did become robotic. It did become going through the motions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, every day did start feeling monotonous. And even if it was a different girl, it all kind of Absolutely. felt the same for me. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, by the time that I reached a point where I'm like, I need to do better, um, 
I, I was at a point where I'm like, I do feel desperate to change my life. Like things are going very poorly mm-hmm. from me across for me across the board. I, I have to figure this out. So I did approach it with a sort of eagerness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're probably right to assess it that way. Well, and what I'm, I guess where I would want to send you as a friend is approach dating kind of the way you were originally in not, but not the whole fucking part, not the whole sex part, but approach it is this is going to be a short term thing until that person shows you. And I'm not saying it's like a audition or, or they need to prove that they're worthy, but I think in, you, you know, pretty quickly, you know, within the first date of, okay, maybe I could see myself hanging out with this person again, or, Maybe, you know, I see something in them that I like or whatnot. And then try the second approach of, hey, let's get to know this person. Let's not rush into things. Let's not jump into the sack. But don't don't think that every, especially, you know, where you're meeting women like on Tinder and whatnot. I, I don't, I've never been on this app, so I don't know that much about it. I always just thought it was a fuck app, but... <laughs> Um, and if it is, then maybe that's also something that you need to change is not using that as, as a source for, for, uh, potential dates, but find people that are also kind of in that same boat of looking for, Hey, I'm looking for something casual to, you know, see if there's something between, between us, but you know, whereas it doesn't have to be. You know, you go out on a date with a girl and and the first thing it's like, okay, now I have to figure out how we're going to get to the second date. How do we get to the third and how we make this a relationship? So I didn't, um, I'm in a much different place now, Mm -hmm. um, than I was kind of where we left off. So Mm -hmm. eventually that whole sort of desperation thing kind of subsided entirely. And then I was just kind of like, I'm just going to be by myself, you know, or hang Which out, I, hang out by myself. Yeah. And I think that's good and healthy to kind of take a break from it yeah. to kind of assess. And, and, um, I, uh, I did start, I started dating a girl when I was, um, when I was in Bloomington and I probably, because I had done so bad at like my attempts at dating, um, and because I was kind of trying to combat uh, my unhealthy, still very existent, like relationship with sex. Um, I probably didn't pour the effort into it that I could have. I mm-hmm. probably took too much of a soft approach, um, probably from a place of fear or something. Um, and she was super good to me and we were on and off again for a, a long time. Um, yeah, she was cool. And, uh, when I moved from Bloomington to Davenport, I was in, so by the time I left Bloomington, things were bad for me, not romantically, um, necessarily. I mean, there was some of that. Um, but like financially, like all the boring adult, uh, the miasma of all this sort of boring adult shit was, uh, was bad. It was, it was bad. Um, but 
I got to Davenport and I was almost instantly reinvigorated. In fact, I hated how much I liked Davenport because I wanted to not like it so badly. Um, it was incredibly cool to me. Um, it, I got into stand up, you know, a year before I moved here. Um, stand up was super helpful for me. Stand up helped me navigate probably a lot of the issues that I was having in my life in sort of a weird transition point for me. Absolutely. So stand up was incredibly important and beneficial to me. Um, and Davenport felt good, man. It felt, uh, really good and dating and relationships certainly weren't a priority, um, at all when I got here, you know, and I definitely, after that, in those initial, um, that initial time in Bloomington, like I did kind of calm down. I mean, there's been, you know, discrepancies, uh, here and there, but I, I did try doing better for, oh, I, I tried doing better, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. Davenport felt really good for me for a long time. And then as of, as of late, um, kind of going through this like seasonal depression. I feel like I'm going through an, another sort of transition phase and you, eventually, you just get so, <clears throat> you just get so exhausted with life evolving. Mm -hmm. you, you reach a point where it's like, I just want to coast here. Mm -hmm. This feels good. I don't need any more changes. This is enough. And that's, that's very much what Davenport was when I got here. It was so beneficial to my mental health. Um, again, more than I ever could have anticipated it being. And, uh, I didn't want to have to grow or change or learn anything else about myself. I was functional and sustainable, you know, after a short time being here, I, I felt like I was, um, had very few bad days, very few depressive episodes, had a, a social life that wasn't based around me sleeping with everyone. Um, and people still found me interesting and cool and liked me even when that wasn't what I was bringing mm -hmm. to the table, which felt good, man. Like it was important for me to feel that for, the first time in my life um, because I wanted to feel that way for so long, so badly. Um, and yeah. Do you have any thoughts? Give me a second to no, figure out what I'm. No, you're good. Um, I want to uh, go back just a second to um, your five-year plan back when you were with your your girl and you you came back from your deployment and you yeah. you didn't feel the same anymore where does that where what is it what was that five year plan where does that take you um we were at the point where we were looking at homes uh we were about to be homeowners which uh seems staggering to me especially when you're unsure about the person you're with um we were searching for homes around the Ames area because I was going to transfer or I wanted to transfer to 
Iowa State to enroll in their horticulture program. Um, and, you know, there was talks of marriage and all of that. And um, she had a career that she could transfer with. Um, I, you know, I could find work while I was going to school or even work remotely. Of course, this was all like prior to knowing that the entire world was a, about to yeah, shut down. Yeah. This is a much different. Absolutely. Um, and, and, I, and, I, and I do, I want to take those kind of caveats and, and limits off what we're talking about, you know, like, so when you're saying it's hard to imagine, you know, buying a house with someone you weren't really sure about, I'm just going with, okay, this is a person you were going to settle with. And, and dude, you know, the sad thing, <laughs> the sad thing is there have been so many times if I'm feeling low, if I'm feeling isolated or lonely, um, or if I'm feeling, um, a, a particularly heavy amount of financial stress or financial burden, I'll have these dialogues with myself where I'm like, what the fuck did you do, man? Like most people that are married don't love each other. Like you didn't hate this girl. You got along with her, you know, like you guys were still attracted to each other. You know, maybe it didn't like, put wind in your sails, but like, it was good enough, man. Like you could have just had a simple life right now. Maybe you wouldn't experience love, um, in a traditional sense, but like things would have been simple. Like you, you, like now, not only do you not have love, you fucking don't have anything else either. Like you, you made such a horrible trade. Um, I do. I think about that sometimes. I, I, no, I'm, I'm 100% with you. I, I I go down that road myself. Now, let's take that Zach that went through and did all those things. Married, house, maybe some kids, went to school, blah, blah, blah. Is that, is this guy here you? I mean... It's definitely a version of me. A right? version and, of and you. And maybe, I mean, maybe a better balanced version of me. You know, I, I, there, there are things that I know that I probably wouldn't have stumbled upon if I chose to do that. The mm-hmm. relation, there are relationships in my life that exist now, such as with you and the rest of this community and so many of the cool, interesting friends that I've made in this past year that would have never existed. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with, without the exception of some serendipitous event of fate or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think, do you think that Zach, what would he tell you? Would he tell you to invest, in, your, invest in Bitcoin? Probably. <laughs> <laughs> probably. <laughs> but do you think, do you think that Zach has the same kind of regrets and emotions and, and thinks, you know, like what if I hadn't, married her and it's hard man because the thing about mental health Mm -hmm. um the thing about diagnosable mental health issues is that that sort of baseline exists without any additional stressors or or bullshit in Mm -hmm. your life it's there you know it's an it's an underlying thing and maybe the stressors and the bullshit trigger you know, worse moments, but 
even if I was that Zach, like I would still have the same mental health issues that I have. I'd still have the same issues with depression and stuff. For sure. So it's hard for me to be able to articulate what I might say to myself from that Zach's perspective, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because, you know, I, I feel like almost definitely I would have less stress Mm -hmm. and less Mm -hmm. anxiety. I feel like the metrics of what make a successful adult would be more tethered to that Zach. Mm -hmm. When you don't have something or you feel like you're lacking something, all you're doing is comparing yourself to other people that have those things. So I'm comparing myself to this imaginary Zach and I'm like, man, I'd fucking die for, you know, just, I would die for, you know, a job that I was passionate about, you know, where I felt valued and important, you know, where I didn't feel like my brain was melting every day. I would die for property ownership. Uh, <laughs> I know, I, I, you know, I understand because I was, I was very much poor. And uh, I mean, when I was out on my own and, uh, and yeah, ownership, home ownership just seemed way outside my realm. Um, the job situation, I, I, I've been in a series of jobs that I thought I could do better in and then didn't enjoy or didn't want to. I mean, I've been, I've been a garbage man. I've been an armed security guard. I've been a sales manager. I've been a store manager. I've been, um, all these different things. And I'll be honest with you, man. I still don't know what I am, but yeah. that's, and I know that scares the shit out of you because you've been frustrated and, and, and struggling with this transition and wanting, you know, some stability. And I can't guarantee you that that part's going to come. You know, it's, it's, one of those things where, where, yeah, it may not be as stable as other Zach had it, but I tell you, I think that Zach is probably, you know, thinking of, man, you've gotten to do some cool things doing comedy shows. I mean, you got to get in a barroom brawl. Um, <laughs> I think there's a lot of things that that Zach looks at this one and says, man, I wish I would have, ha- I wish I would have taken the chance. Yeah, man, I, it's, it's harder for me to grant myself levity in that scenario because I know how many people were unnecessarily hurt and damaged by my behavior by taking that leap. Um, and all, all, all of those people could have avoided that, you know, are you talking about, I'm talking about partners. Are you talking about talking about my, talking about my ex partners? I'm talking about the stress that I probably put my family through and my loved ones and my friends, Mm -hmm. you know, I had, I lost friends during that period of time in my life and I, I was so bitter about it. And they're just like, you're just not fucking fun to be around anymore, dude. Like, like, at the time, I'm like, yeah, but like I stuck around when you fucking weren't fun to be around, you fucking piece of yeah. shit. But I mean, I look I look back in hindsight now, and I'm like, no, that's that's a fucking fair, valid thing. Like when you're when you're having 
these episodes where you feel so low when you're such a fucking bummer of a person to be around what you expect is kindness and an amplified level of kindness from everyone around you. Mm -hmm. Everybody mm -hmm. needs to stop the things they're doing and address how you're feeling and that you're a little sad. And if they don't, they must not be a real friend. And it's this bullshit thinking trap that people get into. Um, and I get into, mm -hmm. and it's, it's mm -hmm. not the f way the fucking world works, man. I, I, maybe there are people that are listening right now that are, are going through depression that, that fall into those same thinking traps. And just because somebody isn't fucking stopping everything that's going on in their life to tend to you doesn't mean those people don't fucking care about you. And, and I, I fall into that trap too, because I told you the other day, cause Brandon reminded me, you know, people aren't against you. They're just out for themselves. Exactly. And, and it's the best way to put it. And, like I said, I fall into that trap too, where I, I, you know, think these people have agendas against me and, and realistic, it's just, you know, out of sight, out of mind, they forgot or they, you know, they're busy with their own bullshit. Yeah. And, and, and I've, I've made bad decisions based on that kind of information as well. Yeah. So I know what you're going through on that. And, and I've, I've heard, I've heard that phrased multiple ways, you know, and that's probably one of the better ways I phrased it. One of the harsher ways that I've heard it phrased to me is like, you know, you're so concerned with what people are thinking about you when probably they aren't thinking mm -hmm. about you at all. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and it always like, you're like, well, that hurts my feelings. Yeah. Yeah. Too, you no, know? That, but that, I mean, it's, it's, it tr is, it's true for as much as you're trapped in your head right now, the majority of the population is trapped in their head right now as well. And, and I think this is one of the good things that you're doing with your podcast. Not that it's the only good thing, but, uh, that you are being honest. You're being transparent. You're telling people, Hey, this hasn't been good for me the last couple of weeks. Like, and so I, I do believe that there is that culture of, of showing the highlight reels that does put people in this constant, you know, need to compare their life to someone else's. Do, and, and when, when I just never, I never want to be that person. I can't stress enough how much that turns me off of a human being, that highlight reel sort of life. And I understand the temptation to do it. Like I understand how fucking cool it feels when you walk into a cool ass hotel room or you're on a cool ass vacation, you're eating mm -hmm. fucking at a Michelin star restaurant. Mm -hmm. I, I get it. And you've, you've worked and put effort into achieving those things or, mm -hmm. Maybe you didn't, but who the fuck cares, you know? Um, but whenever I think about that, I just think back to the moments in my life where I just felt like the biggest loser on the fucking planet. And I just felt like nobody considered me and nobody would care if I didn't fucking stick around and I didn't have a single friend in the fucking world and I was lonely and I was down and I'd fucking hop on Facebook and see these people living these lavish lifestyles, you know, while I'm fucking working my dick into the dirt to, to barely be able to pay rent. And I would just be like, well, that's not meant for me. And it would make me feel horrible, dude. Mm -hmm. The reality is. In the time that I was in Bloomington to now, through 
grit and effort and perseverance and maybe some white lies here or there, I have quadrupled my annual income four times it like a fucking three year span of time. I should be patting myself on the fucking back. And I thought when I got to this point, life would be simple and it's still fucking not. It's still not. Um, <laughs> you know, and the funny thing is, man, the, the funny thing about that statement is I have proven to myself for three years that every time that I earned more and made more and had more things, I'm like this, I would always think that was the point that I was going to be happy. And still, still right now to this day, having done all of that, if you're like, do you think $120,000 a year would make you happy? I'd be like, absolutely. That would fix everything. I should fucking know better. Like, <laughs> the, I, the, I have pr I've proven that doesn't work. But still, if somebody's like, how, mu how much money a year would it take to make you happy? I would have that number in my fucking head. Well, I do believe there is, quote unquote, a number where this is where that whole uh, basic uh, basic income comes from. Like if you didn't have to worry about your rent, if you didn't have to worry about your food costs, like if you had just enough money to get by and live, and then on top of that, you made money at your job, what would you be doing with all that free time that you were worrying about all these things? Um, I can tell you, I can answer that from experience. Um, uh, binge eating DoorDash and feeling sorry for yourself. Um, that's, <laughs> that's, well, uh, I have more money to spend on yeah. binge eating food because yeah. uh, binge eating food is how I address my mental health issues well. now as opposed to sex. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I was thinking more along the lines of, you know, I think when people have the the time to not worry about, you know, the basic human needs, they can get into, you know, fixing actual problems and, and doing things with their life. But, you know, we are kind of trapped in this, you know, economy of, Hey, we're going to basically make everyone live paycheck to paycheck so that they can't achieve anything else. I'm not saying it's, you know, there's no way out or in of it. It's, but I'm just saying like it, it the system is kind of designed this way. And it does. It fills me with a sense of dread every day that I wake up that I know that I have to go and do something that I for sure wasn't put on this planet to do mm -hmm. 100%. Mm -hmm. Um, so I can live, mm -hmm. um, so I can exist. Mm -hmm. Um, and I have to do that until I die. Um, and, uh, it's a bummer, man. Uh, the, the daily grind is, but now obviously foam insulation is not <laughs> your life's passion. Not saying anything bad about the, <sighs> I, I work for a company and, and it's not my passion either, obviously, but I'm able to enjoy my job. Yeah. I, I have a, they pay me fairly well for what I do and I enjoy the people that I work with enough that all that other stuff, you know, is, is some, you know, every, everything in life is, is an exchange, you know, yeah. I'm willing to put in the hours at a job I'm not necessarily you know, lo in love with, 
because I'm getting, you know, an X amount of money and I also get enough work satisfaction. I think, no, please continue. I was going to say, you are at a point now where you're not in love with your job. It's paying you apparently decently enough to, you know, be able to do DoorDash or binge on DoorDash. Um, but I think you're also in the position where, you know, you got to look for what's next for you because this isn't something that you're going to be able to to enjoy long term. So um I <clears throat> there's there's several things to address there. Several things to bring And up. if if any of this needs to get cut out because no, no, you no, don't no. want your you're, you're you're fine. Um you're fine. Uh I have always worked jobs that um I did well at you know, like I excelled at. Mm -hmm. Um, and oftentimes, um, some member of that job that would make me feel integral to whatever we were trying to accomplish. Mm -hmm. And that fulfilled my need for validation. Um, and, that in turn made those jobs bearable. Mm -hmm. Some of my most favorite, some of my favorite jobs I've ever worked were jobs where I was making pennies and I would do anything to have a life where I could go back to those jobs and afford to make pennies. Yeah. Um, I miss them dearly. Uh, and that was because the people that I worked with and the people around me made me feel like I really mattered. I cannot put into words how um, underutilized and unimportant I am to the, the, <laughs> the flow of day-to-day -day operations at this job, which is, which is cool in a degree that, mm -hmm. um, you know, it doesn't come with ridiculous amounts of responsibility the way that somebody has been in my position longer would have to take. It's not cool because I need ridiculous amounts of responsibility to feel any sense of stimulation. Mm -hmm. I have fucking ADHD. You can't fucking put me in a desk in an office and not give me eight hours worth of task and expect me to thrive. My brain will fucking eat itself. Yeah. Um, and I've had these conversations and I still don't get eight hours worth of uh, task ever assigned to me. Um, so that sucks. But. Um, I have a fear of continuing to explore careers, even if I'm young, um, because everything that I thought I was going to love, I didn't, you know, or it didn't work out for, for one reason or another. Nothing mm -hmm. was ever as advertised to me. Mm -hmm. So I have a uh, genuine distrust for employers mm -hmm. first off. Um, and I also realized that eventually I just have to fucking pick one. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and everything's going to be a, a little bit of a gamble. I don't want to be, my dad's one of the hardest workers I've ever met. Um, he's just, he's a grinder. Um, he just goes and goes and goes, and he's always been that way. And he's 
you know, up until probably recently has almost always been dissatisfied with what he was doing. And you could watch it just take the wind out of his sails. You know, you could see it, you could Mm -hmm. physically Mm -hmm. see it. Um, what was always going to make him happy was being his own boss was having his own business. Um, he's intelligent, you know, he has a, a wide range of skills. Um, he has never took that leap for whatever variety of reasons, you know, having me as a kid probably didn't help. Um, and I know that there's a dissatisfaction that he feels from that, whether he wants to have those dialogues with me or not. And I just, I love my dad to death. And there's a lot of things that I, I want to emulate in him, Mm -hmm. but I just don't want to be that, you know? Um, and I see myself on that path, you know? And I remember when I was a kid, what that path resulted in was me moving so many times. And now I look back and I think about the effect that that had on me. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and the resentment I have for the effect it had on me. And, uh, I don't have any kids or anything, but it, those things are just ever present on my mind. Mm-hmm. I just don't want to, I don't want to be those that person. Those, I think those moves and, and restarting that you had to do are probably bigger traumas than you, you realize. And, Oh, undoubtedly. And uh, when you got back from deployment, did you get like any sort of mental health services or? No, uh, I didn't. I, um, I had went through, you know, I'd had some mental health examination mm-hmm. and went through some treatment a, a couple times in my life um, after some, some various uh, traumas. And, uh, but no, n- not after that. That and, and I think you know that might be an integral piece to your healing process is because I think there's a lot of themes that are running through through all three things on the board right there, and you're not you're not far off. That's the thing. Like you're you're very close to the answers, and and obviously life is doesn't have black and white answers for everything, but you're so close on so many different things. And I think there's, there's therapists or or people out there that are much more qualified than me to help give you those directions. But you're, I hate that, that you care so much and yet the world, you know, doesn't care back. I mean, and in the same way that you care and that's very unfortunate and not fair. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Um, I I've quoted it. I've quoted it on this podcast, um, several times. Uh, it was a quote from Atlanta. If you guys haven't checked out Atlanta, mm-hmm. uh, with Donald Glover, it's, um, fantastic. I love it so much. Um, and there was a line in the, the newest season of it that, like I said, I've, I've mentioned it on this podcast before, but it really, really affected me. Um, and, uh, the episode is about Paperboy, one of the main characters in the show, going through this scavenger hunt um, that led him to this rapper. Um, and uh, 
they said the the rapper had passed away like three months prior to this. And it's obviously an MF doom. If you guys are familiar with MF doom, it's, it's a sort of trope to him. And, uh, so he follows the scavenger hunt and he gets to this final destination. And he thinks that this dude's still going to be alive, but it's just like a wake for him and his wife's there. Um, so it's just paper boy and his wife at this time. Right. And, uh, she's like, yeah. Um, you know, blue blood was the rapper's name. She's like, you know, he did, um, so much getting this put together when he found out that his health was falling apart. You know, he, uh, he put together this whole thing and yada, yada, yada. Right. And she said, he just worked so hard. And I feel like a lot of times the effort that you put into something isn't the effort that you get out. And she's like, I just wish he had had more fun with it because in the end, that's all that really mattered. I fucking replayed that scene, uh, three dozen times, man. I watched that episode probably once a week. It has this sort of really deep, uh, impact. It's funny. You know, mm-hmm. it's funny that a, a comedy show, I mean, there's obviously deep themes to it, yeah. but, um, that had an effect on me. Um, I think everybody feels like they're putting more effort into the world than they're receiving out of it. I don't think that I'm alone. In no, that. definitely not. Um, and it sucks to feel that way. There've been a lot of times in my life where I felt really lonely and I looked at the way that I treated my friends and the things that I do for my friends and the way that I would show up for my friends. And I'd be like, man, if I just had a friend like me, like life would be better. You know, it, it's funny. Cause <clears throat> at the beginning of the, of the podcast, you were talking about how I show my appreciation for my friends and, and that being an admirable, admirable quality. And the reason I do it is I think I'm just literally saying to all these other people is the same thing that I wish someone would say to me. Yeah. And so, you know, when I, when I text you and say, Hey, have a great day. Or when I check in, you know, sometimes I, 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 yeah, wish that was, was what was happening to me. And maybe that's why people appreciate it so much is because that's what they needed to hear too. Yeah, man. People just aren't kind. I mean, you have to understand how rare, um, it is to have somebody in your life that does something like that. Um, it, I think it probably does have a profound effect on the people in your life. I know it does me. I don't, my brain doesn't work that way. I'm so caught up in, in how I'm feeling or what I need to be doing Mm -hmm. or where I'm not at or where I should be at that. It just doesn't think to do those things. Mm -hmm. I'll show my love and appreciation for friends in, in different ways. Um, oh, absolutely. And I, I hope no, no, that, no, no, that no, no, it wasn't no, a comparison. No. But he, the thing is, you have the same burdens. You're a person. You're a human on this planet at this time. And you're enduring what it is to exist now with all of the conditioning and trauma that you'd received throughout the course of your entire life that shaped you into being the person that you are today. And 
all the daily struggles that you have to address that are unique to you. And still, still you're like, Hey man, I hope you have a good day. That's such a rare, special friend. It just, you know, you make me, you make me want to be a better friend. You make me want to be kinder to people around me. And I think you have, um, in a lot of ways made me, uh, kinder and more conscious of my interactions with others. And I, I still slip up. Uh, my base setting is a little savage from time to time, but I definitely approach each day with the intent to make the world better that day. Absolutely. I think that's, that's a good start. And, and it was, it was something where, I carried a lot of anger through my late twenties and through my thirties and about my mid thirties. I think I finally started getting my, my head right. And, and in so many words, I guess. And number one was my therapist. Uh, he very similar to you and your five-year plan. Um, I compared myself to all the things I thought I should have done in life where I thought I should have graduated college and gotten a good job, got married, um, had, and, and I've done some of these things since, but, um, the doc, the, the therapist was like very similar to how I asked you. He's like, what is, what do you think of that, that Chris? And what it got down to was he made me realize that this version of me had a lot more fun than that version did. Yeah, I fucked up a whole lot. And, and sometimes I think of it is, you know, kind of like your, your, your other Zach, my other Chris, their life, their lifeline is like this. You know, it's just a flat, flat line, you know, no ups, no downs. My life has been up and down and up and down. And so basically those to get rid of those downs, I would have had to trade those highs and I've enjoyed some of those highs so much that I wouldn't trade them for a good mediocre life. And so, and, and by, by no means is my life perfect. Um, I, I, I had to, I had to get past my own douchiness um, in the sense of, in the sense of, would never, you know, obviously if you have depression saying cheer up is not going to help, but I had to get to the point where I started changing my language first. Um, whenever anybody would tell me, Hey, how are you doing today? Instead of saying fine or okay, or not bad. I started saying things like fantastic or terrific or great or peachy keen. Or, you know, if I was, if I was having any more fun, they'd try to tax me. I'm Chris Starman. I've been awesome. <laughs> kind of along that same lines. Um, so I started changing my language because what would happen then is someone says, Hey, Chris, how you doing? Oh, I'm fantastic, man. Then you turn around and say, how are you doing? Now all of a sudden they're not saying, Oh, not bad. They're saying, Oh, pretty good. Or, Hey, I'm doing great. Um, things like just simple things like that. I had to get to the point where, 
doing these things that I thought were corny and cheesy were no longer corny and cheesy. They were just part of who I am and part of, part of my fun. Um, I always try to make the first interaction I have in the morning a memorable one. So when I stop at the gas station and get a, get a coffee or get something else, I want to make sure that cashier remembers me for the rest of the day for something good. Hopefully, you know, but like <laughs> empty out the register. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to remember that. Um, and those are the kind of things that, that help me get back to not being such an angry person, comparing myself to that other Chris, like, yeah, he had money. Probably he probably had, uh, you know, a girl that he met in college that was like a model or something like that or whatever you're into. And it's like, yeah, but I have two great kids. I have, yeah, it's a shitty little house, but I got a stupid dog that I love. And it's the comparing to that other, if I'm going to compare, I got to compare what I have that I enjoy that that one doesn't have as well, as much as the, Oh, that guy probably has a lot of money. I got to be like, yeah, he has a lot of money, but he's never uh, been in the same room with Kyle Kinane uh, or opened for Brett Terhune or, you know, those kind of things where it's like, hey, this Chris has had some really great experiences that that one didn't. From there, I forgot what I was going to say, and that is unfortunate, but... <laughs> Um, I don't know, man, what you got. <laughs> so, you, so you mentioned, uh, things that you view as corny or cheesy. Mm-hmm. Funny thing about that is you aren't going to convince me that there is a single person on this planet that wishes they had the courage to do corny, cheesy shit. <laughs> That's what it all comes down to is we feel secondhand embarrassment for mm-hmm. somebody acting outside of a societal norm. Mm-hmm. But when you're in those moments, you know, a lot of times alcohol is involved. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But, but when you're in those moments, that sort of group mentality where you're participating in something corny and cheesy, look around. Everybody's participating in it and they, they have a great time. Mm-hmm. Dude, I danced so fucking much. At my friend Scala's wedding, I danced so much that by the end of the wedding, I was just in my vest. I had sweat through <laughs> every other article of clothing I had. I was wearing my fucking vest like I was a Chippendales dancer. I danced that much. And guess what? I'm not fucking good at dancing. Not by any stretch of the imagination. But you know what? I felt like I was good at dancing that night. Yeah, yeah. Had a blast. I was on the dance floor from start to finish. Mm -hmm. You know, I used to be that person that would stand outside of the dance floor and watch other people have a good time and Mm -hmm. be like, oh, that's if I get out there, I'm going to embarrass myself. I'm going to humiliate myself. I went to Nashville. I hate, you know, I used to hate touristy shit. I, I never wanted to feel like a tourist anywhere I went. That was the biggest I would, uh, I, cause I'm so concerned with people thinking I'm cool. I would be humiliated if somebody saw me doing anything that could be perceived as touristy, never wanted to do it. 
Went to Nashville one time with an ex-girlfriend. She booked us a pedal tavern, probably the touristy, sh- most touristy thing you could fucking do. <laughs> Dude, I had the time of my life. Awesome. Once you get over worrying what other people mm-hmm. are thinking about mm-hmm. you and you just participate in the moment and just have fun. Dude, I met a Canadian wedding party on that pedal tavern that I am still friends with to this day. That's it. <laughs> I got a buddy, Jason, who is by far the happiest guy I know. Um, and part of it was legit him getting fired. He got fired for calling this lady at work a twat um, or a cunt, and it got classified as sexual harassment. I hope it was a cunt. You know, I, I hope so, yeah. too. Um, <laughs> and I, and I can't remember the exact story of it, but this lady was just rude and ruthless to him and she would like pull people's hair and pull people's ears but she never got in trouble for for assault but because it became something she could classify as sexual harassment by calling her a cunt then he got fired. anyway the long and the short of it is uh one of the things i learned from him was to just go on adventures even if they're simple ones um and i need to get back in the habit of it one time I parked down in downtown Davenport and I heard some music. So I just wandered into a festival. That was my little adventure for the day. Um, or you drive past a store that looks really cool, but you've never been into it. Pull over and go in that way. That yeah, day. I spent a, I spent a Sunday here going to different thrift shops and flea markets. Had a great time. Yeah. Spent another Sunday. I just went out on a patio and smoked a cigar with my friend. Great time. And, and see, these are the, when I was saying earlier too that that you're not far off, like you're not far from from where you need to be, just a couple of perception changes and and whatnot. I think you're there, but those are the things. Like as you're telling me these things, I see you light up talking about the thrift stores. See you light up talking about hanging out with with a buddy smoking a cigar. Not hard things, you know, yeah. like very very simple things. S- simple things, and it's. I mean, you get in these mindsets where all you want to do is isolate, mm-hmm. uh, which I which I'm ob- obviously guilty of. But, but even more so, like I think we overcomplicate. Not just you. I think we all overcomplicate things. Like, oh man, if I want to do something, I got to go dress up. I got to put on an out. You know, I got to go out. No, man, you just either have a buddy come over or go over there. You know, those kind of things where it's like. The simple things. They don't have to all be, you know, lavish, extravagant nights out. Yeah, dude. I live for last minute plans. Mm-hmm. I live for that text that I get at ten oh seven on a Friday where a buddy's like, Hey, I'm downtown. You wanna meet up with me? Mm-hmm. When I was just gonna, you know, jerk off and go to bed. Um <laughs> you say ten oh seven, I'm like, You're just getting started at ten oh seven. I'm going to <laughs> I'm so old. But uh my sleeping habits are or trash. That's something I also need to fix. Um, but yeah, no man, no man is an island, mm-hmm. right? That's that's what they say. There's a lot of truth in that statement. I think. I don't think I know. We're we're social creatures. You know, you can try going against the grain as much as you want. Uh, we crave that, and just because social interactions in your life didn't turn out the way that you expected them to. And because of that, you're, you have a fear of rejection or you're isolating yourself for whatever multitude of reasons doesn't mean that you should quit putting yourself in those situations. Eventually something's going to stick. 
it's it's a matter of time. Sometimes it's a a numbers game, um, as I'm um, uh, very experienced with. Um, <laughs> since you since you also haven't had a ton of uh, outside help for your depression and ADHD. Uh, did you know there's a huge correlation between ADHD and rejection sensitivity disorder? I did not. Um, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Wow. It, uh, attention deficit disorder and, and attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, they both, um, you know, people just assume that you're, you know, can't focus or you can't, uh, you're always twitching and stuff. It's not true. There's a lot of symptomology to it that's not just um, your, a lot of your anxiety could be tied to your ADHD. Um, I, I am really bad at, at, uh, keeping, keeping all this stuff tracked in my brain, but well, uh, I know, Im- I know impulse control is a major mm-hmm. thing. And when I look at my sexual history, a lot of that's pretty impulse based. Um, yeah, there are a lot of things in my life financially, romantically, socially that I can attribute to, some sort of weirdness that's probably the result of ADHD. Um, I wish that I had came to that conclusion earlier, mm-hmm. um, but mm-hmm. I didn't. Uh, and there's no changing that. And now um, I'm on the mend from it, technically, uh, or hopefully. Um, Wellbutrin seems to be doing its job. <laughs> um, you know, I love that I can. Um, still get a boner on it. That's a big plus. Hey, no, absolutely. Um, yeah. So it's it's a a marathon, not a not a sprint. But conversations like this are cathartic, and I think it's important to have transparent dialogue with your friends. Um, I think it's incredibly important. Absolutely, and I'm I'm glad that you were willing to let yourself be vulnerable, you know, both with me as a friend. I appreciate that, that, you know, you feel comfortable enough to talk to me as well as, you know, the bravery of putting this out there. I mean, you could scrap this still between, between now and airing it, but at the same time, even just having the conversation, I think is important. And if you share it, you know, if you choose to share it, I think that's, that's huge as well. Yeah. It's, it's weird topics to kind of, um, to kind of go through and I have a sort of sensitivity in discussing sex, um, in any form because so much of my life, the discussions of sex were coming from a place of boastfulness, mm-hmm. um, that I, that's always ever present on my mind when I'm talking about it, even if I'm talking about it in a manner that I'm intending to be productive, mm-hmm. that I never went to, um, come across that way. And it shouldn't come across that way. Um, because it didn't make me a happy person. Um, I know there are people out there, uh, that just the way that I think money is going to solve all my problems. They think sex, you know, or the ability to get dates or being desired by the opposite sex is going to solve all of their problems. They think that that's the missing piece in their puzzle, you know, to them, sex is what money and wealth, which I'll discuss in our later episode, is to me. Um, and it's not. Uh, I hate to break it to you. Um, there isn't any one puzzle piece that you're going to put into the jigsaw puzzle of you that's going to solve 
all of your problems. All this shit's a process. And if you keep thinking that one thing is going to be the thing that fixes it, you're always going to be disappointed. Um, it sucks. It sucks that life is constant work and constant effort. Um, but learn to grant yourself some levity. Those are the things that make you uniquely you and great in your own way. Um, and speak kinder to yourself. I think that's important. Yeah. Back, <clears throat> back before, uh, all the technology we had, there was an old saying of, uh, please be kind and rewind or, uh, rewind, be kind or however it yeah, went, be but, kind, rewind. and, and, you know, maybe we just need to start, start putting those stickers on everything. Just to remind people <laughs> to be kind. My, uh, my mom held a blockbuster card so long. The membership card that before Blockbuster closed, she would go into Blockbuster and present them with her like laminate piece of paper with like zero zero one, the first person to ever <laughs> receive one on it. And they would look at it because at this point they had switched to like an actual yeah, the, card, the, the, and they'd be like, "What the fuck is it? every time?" It never <laughs> um, yeah, so she knew all about being kind. Your, your mom's it. out. Your mom's out there. I would don't quote the magic to me. I was here when it was written. <laughs> Don't tell me your video rental policy. I was here before you guys rented. Yeah. Um, and also I feel some, some, uh, obligation, uh, to remind the listeners again, because I, I know my, my mom and my dad both listens to this. Hi folks. Hello um, Zach's parents. Uh, my parents are great. Uh, any of the, I don't think that the issues that I'm dealing with my parents, love each other like crazy. If they were the model of how I should address love, I wouldn't have any of the, uh, very complicated feelings that I have about it. Um, so yeah, there, there are some things that I, I know that I got from them, some anxieties and neuroses and yeah, moving around a bunch wasn't ideal, but, uh, they were great parents. So I don't want them to listen to this and be like, what the fuck did we do to this? No, no, I, I, talk about how my parents were, were, you know, fantastic. And how do I repay them? I become a stand-up comedian. <laughs> the one thing they probably didn't want. Oh man. If I could actually be successful doing stand-up, I don't think there's well, a career that would make my dad happier, but that that's the thing. Like I don't, I'm not a successful yeah. comedian. <laughs> yeah. That's a whole, whole different conversation for a whole other day, man. Yeah. I think that I addressed everything that, I wanted to everything that I needed to get off my chest and unload. And I hope I did it in a clear, concise, productive way. And I hope I said some things that made you guys feel better. I know, I know we were, were trying to focus on the romantic love portion of this, but I think so many of those, like you said, the puzzle piece, you know, there's not one single puzzle piece. There's a lot of layers to this. And, and I think you, at the end of the day, you are an amazing person. And I'm glad that you didn't settle for your five-year plan. Even if you're, even if you, and it's not against the person. Um, I am glad that you came into my life, but I'm also glad that you, you deserve a chance at being ultimately happy. And that wouldn't have made you ultimately happy. You, if you were already questioning whether the relationship could work, it wasn't going to. 
Um, I, I, then again, nothing against either one of you, but you both deserved a chance to be happy. You gave her a chance to be happy. You're going to find yours. You deserve it. Yeah, for sure. Um, life's about chances. Um, (laughs) I, uh, I'm glad that I'm here and I, I'd like to think that I'm on the path. Um, nothing's linear. Everything's peaks and valleys, but I'd like to think that I'm on the path to getting there and having meaningful conversations like this and having the ability to articulate my thoughts and, and share my thoughts with somebody uh, that I care so much about and to share it with everyone that's listening now and to have the hope um, that somebody could gain something from this or their their day or week or month or life could be improved by it. Um, it makes things feel better for me. I feel my best when I'm providing insights into my life that and sharing them with people that I, I care about deeply um, with the sort of hope um, that uh, there's worth to it. There's worth to what I'm saying. Definitely. I think there is. So we close all these episodes the same way. Um, share with the listeners any of your insights, man. What's the What profound thought do you have going through your brain? I thought about this earlier today, and it's been a while, but uh, someone once asked me, hypothetically, let's say there is a God, and you get to heaven when you die. What do you want God to say to you? <laughs> Uh, I'll this, give, was, this wasn't a question. This, no, this, you are answering a question with a question. Well, uh, no, I'll give you mine because yeah. this is this is kind of my my what I think is or what I was told was a profound thought. I just want whoever's there on the other side to be like, "Hey, man, you did the best with what we gave you." Yeah, I mean, that's uh, what else? What else can you really ask for? I don't think that I could produce a better answer than that. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I just, I, I think it's, it's one of those things. We all are going to get dealt some struggles and I think we're all doing, you know, the best we can with it. I think you're doing the best you can with yours and I'm trying to do the best I can with mine. And I hope everybody else that's out there listening to this, you know, if they get down, you know, keep getting back up. We'll be here for you. Yeah. uh, Everybody's circumstances are, are really different. Um, but you don't have to accept those circumstances as constants, but you do have to accept that your reality is, is what it is. So if you're living in a shabby little home that you hate and you're like, oh man, I wish I was living in a, a mansion. Um, okay. You know, that's, that's your circumstance right now. Um, but you can clean that home. You can fold your laundry, uh, which I hate doing. You can dust. Sell, that, sell that house and put a down payment on a little bit nicer house. Yeah, there's. I mean, you can you can make you don't your have to get the mansion right away. Better, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it used to bum me out, man. I, I would go into people's homes for work. Um, it's several jobs that I did and not all of them had the best home. Um, but sometimes you'd go into those little homes, you know, in those less fortunate neighborhoods and you could tell that that home was the best version that that home was going to be, you know, and they took pride and care into the way they cared about something that, that maybe they wanted more than like, likely they wanted more than, and then you'd go into other ones and nothing was cared for, you know, you'd be like, man, like things are grim, but you couldn't make any effort to make things a little bit better for yourself. You know, that's my allegory for that. I like it. I like it. That seems like a great way to wrap this thing up. Yes. Um, take care of your lives. Take care of your homes. Be kind to yourself. Be kind. Rewind. Chris, I love you, buddy. Love you too, man. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for being on. And thanks for listening to Slice of Life. I will see you guys next week.